Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to HR Work Break. I'm your host, Maddie Collins, editor of HR Daily Advisor. HR Work Break takes a quick but close look at everything human resources. For any HR professional, it's a must listen. I hope you learned something new, take some advice to heart, or simply stay abreast today's trending topics. Now, it's time for a work break. Happy Friday and welcome to HR Work Break. Today, I'm joined by Lou Bockenheimer, CTO of Americas for SSNC Blue Prism. SSNC Blue Prism provides enterprise intelligent automation technology to increase efficiency, reduce operating costs, and reimagine how work gets done. Lou, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So obviously, your industry is all about intelligent automation technology and the advances that it makes in the workplace and outside the workplace. So as AI grows in popularity, why do you think people fear automation will replace jobs? That's often like a very underlying factor in these conversations. Yeah, well, people always are going to fear that and they always have. This isn't anything new. Automation has been going on. We want to get really technical since we invented the wheel. Yeah. But like any tool that makes someone's job easier does mean that the types of jobs people do will shift. And that can be scary, especially if you're in one of those roles where it's more likely to shift. But fortunately, as we've seen throughout history, anytime that does happen, anytime there's some new technology that changes the way work is done, it doesn't eliminate jobs in general. It makes jobs better and gives people access to better jobs. Using the wheel example, I'm sure there were people whose job used to be to carry stones and then they could use a wheel to carry many at the same time. That doesn't mean that no one had work again, but it does mean that some people, in that case, stone carriers, I guess, had to find something new to do. Yeah. Speaking of those different jobs that you'll have to do as certain aspects of how we work get phased out as technology integrates more. I read this in a Forbes article. Research estimates that AI will create 97 million jobs. So what sort of jobs would automation create? And why would you describe them as uh, like better or safer as the other ones get phased out? It's all over the place. And here I want to give a couple examples because I think that'll answer your question better than anything else I could say. So the first example I want to give is going back in time to the late 60s when the ATM was released. And that was one of the first modern types of self-service automation implemented. And at the time, folks were very concerned. Folks thought that the good banking teller jobs would be disappearing and you know those people wouldn't have their roles anymore and banking would all become automated. But in reality, that made it much more accessible. So more people started banking and they still needed that human touch for more complex issues. So if we look at the numbers, going back into the 60s, there were a decent number of bank tellers. In the 80s, there was about 60,000 ATMs in the country and just under half a million bank tellers. In the early 2000s, we had over 350,000 ATMs and we had increased the number of bank tellers to over 520,000. By adding automation, you add these self-service options, you get more people involved And the roles that are needed to interact with those customers are added as well. Another example is that a customer of ours, to use something a little bit more modern, was one of the largest insurance companies in the world. And they had an HR team that, like most typical HR teams, non-technical individuals, folks who had very good understanding of the work they did day to day, we implemented automation and 
since technology has advanced to a point where you don't need to do any coding required, they're able to pick it up in like a day or so. So we did that with this HR team, trained them to use the technology. They automated the repetitive parts of their jobs and ended up getting raises into new positions within automation. So they ended up getting better jobs, more work is getting done, it's more efficient, and the boring repetitive work that they hate, that frankly most of us hate, was gone. That's awesome. I saw a statistic that said 64% of businesses expect AI to increase productivity. So it's fascinating that you've already seen like that firsthand example. Oh, yeah. Going back to that, like uh, taking out the busy work, especially in the human resources department, I feel like... <laughs> Having that like meticulous like day-to-day stuff taken care of, it lets you focus on the human part, the people you're dealing with, and the more complicated issues at hand. And as you automate more and increase efficiency, that's going to increase revenue. You're going to increase your employee count, which means you're going to need more people to deal with those employees, especially in HR, because that human touch is always important in pretty much any industry. Yeah. People like talking to people, and for complex stuff, that's going to be needed. Yeah, it makes me think of um, how many automated chatbots there are for like online shopping experience, especially like that sort of a tool will get you through the easy stuff. But if you have a weird, complicated question, that's when you have to get on a phone with a person. And it's usually a little bit more human. You feel heard. Because I'm the same way. I guess I'm a terrible millennial. I don't like using chatbots because if you're talking to a person, you can you know, negotiate, you can come up with deals, you can figure out complex issues. But if you're talking with a chatbot, going to be programmatic responses. And if it's something simple, like I need to change my address, sure. Let me quickly click a button and get that done. But if it's anything more complicated than that, I still want to talk to a person. But I want that person to be able to spend their time talking to me. Yeah, because they're not preoccupied with typing something in that could have just been automated from the from the message chat thing. Exactly. We do a ton of work actually in contact centers. Really? Think of the example I just gave. You call in to like your telephone company or something, you need to change your address. That address is probably stored in at least a dozen different backend systems. So many times you'll hear, oh, do you mind if I put you on a brief hold? They'll go through, update all of those systems one at a time and get back to you. Instead, what we can do is we can say, let's click a button, kick off 12 different digital workers, one updating each system by itself. So all that work gets done simultaneously It's done 12 times faster, and it doesn't require the human agent to be keying that information in, so they can be focused on you, the customer, giving you the experience you want, and the amount of time you have to spend on the phone with them is drastically reduced. Yeah. So we have talked a lot about the more managerial, like, statistical data side of intelligent automation, and there's a lot of conversation about ChatGPT. And so some businesses, and oh god, I wish I could remember the article, but it's very much divided by industry. Some businesses think it will be good and will improve creativity, while as other businesses are like, don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. What's your take on generative AI and stuff like that? So in general, I'm very much for new technologies. My wife is the opposite. She's an artist. So I, I see both sides of this for sure. I think there are some areas where generative AI and large language models like ChatGPT or Google's Bard or the like will really be beneficial. If I'm being blunt, though, the folks that are worried about this taking over areas like art or poetry, essay writing, I wouldn't be as concerned there. Because from a technical perspective, the back-end systems required to run generative AI is pretty expensive. So where it makes the most sense to use, and where we've been using it pretty heavily, is two areas. First, 
if you want to write something, have it write code. Oh. Code is thick. It's simple for you know, an AI to write. And a lot of times it's going to do a better job of writing it than a person. And you can just describe what you want done and it writes it for you. The other side of that, though, is tools to help a person. Because you don't need any form of automation or AI to be able to do 100% of a task. You need it to be able to help a person do that task faster. So we have tools in our platform where we might want to do something like define what the scope of work is and what steps are needed. You can just talk in natural language and have that implemented. Or you need to search a document for a specific piece of text. Instead of writing out a regular expression, as it's called in coding, you could now just have Gen AI write that for you and just include it in. So I think there's going to be all sorts of areas across pretty much every industry where Gen AI gets added and helps, but I don't think it's going to be strictly replacing people. Yeah, I totally see that. In my own experience, so like I work in a creative field like your wife, so I'm a little bit hesitant about using generative AI. But for me, I know I'm not good at thinking of titles for articles occasionally. So I'm like, I need a, a quick, catchy way for this newsletter title, for this article title. And so I'll just say, like, please give me some ideas to work off of. <laughs> and it works as a good brainstorming tool for creatives, at least I've experienced. Absolutely. It's very powerful for many different areas. But at the end of the day, all of this is still functioning as an assistant to humans, especially pure AI by itself. I like to think of it as a brain sitting in a jar. <laughs> it can come up with stuff. It can think through complex things, but it can't really do anything. It doesn't have the ability to make action on it. Exactly. And that's where we plug in tools like intelligent automation or different automation tools that give it the ability to connect to different systems or with uh, some of the technology we sell, gives it the ability to click on buttons, type in through a keystroke, take actions on a computer the same way a person would. But if it's not going to be a repetitive task, it's still not going to be cost effective to build any form of automation to accomplish it. So it gets back to the point from the beginning. Automation is great at doing repetitive tasks and tools like AI enhance what can be automated. But even if you're automating 80% of that work, there's still going to be the other 20% fringe cases, the cases that require, you know, more complex thinking or just that aren't repetitive enough to justify building the automation in the first place. And that's where people come in. Yeah. And going back to what we talked about earlier, that's the part that people would rather do over like, you know, like if you had to sit down and manually alphabetize an Excel sheet, that's tedious. You wouldn't want to do that. I haven't done an expense report in four and a half years. Nice. It was one of the first automations I built after coming here. And I love it every week when I don't have to spend that time. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> so we've talked about like the benefits, the ways that it can like improve the workforce. And we've touched upon where people's nerves come in with introducing intelligent automation and artificial intelligence in the workplace. So what are some best practices to consider when adding it to your workforce? Like you said, it's best suited for those simple ideas, but is there anything else you should consider? Yeah. So first, I think this is an excellent question that more folks should be asking, because if you implement any form of automation without best practices, you're going to be in for a rough time. Yeah. The four pieces I'd say you really want to include as far as best practices are first compliance, because if your automation isn't compliant with things, it's dead on arrival. Uh, resiliency, because if you can't depend on the automation to work and work correctly, it's useless in an enterprise environment. 
uh, security, because cybersecurity is crucial in any type of technology, and scalability. With those four, you can accomplish a lot, but it's still just a starting point. One of the things we provide is something called a robotic operating model. It's a set of best practices around automation we've codified over the last 20 years. That sort of a tool is going to be incredibly valuable no matter what you're trying to implement within automation because you don't want to be the groundbreakers here. The last piece I'll say about this is when you're looking to implement an automation, I would recommend that you don't do it based off of what you think would be good to implement because frankly, who knows if you know all the complexity, you know the details. It's generally not a good idea to try and guess at this. There are technologies out there, such as uh, process mining or task mining, that can look at your backend system data and the data based on what you're doing and other employees are doing on their machines to figure out where processes can be improved, where rework can get done, and where it makes sense to build automation. So I'd recommend relying on the data. Definitely. That's solid advice. So the AI market was about $87 billion in 2022. And Forbes expects it to grow to almost $407 billion by 2027, which is just exponential growth. With these dates that we're looking at, how do you think remote and hybrid work have contributed to the boom in AI and automated technology? Oh, it's been huge for many reasons that you might not think about, like security and compliance mentioned earlier. In the beginning of the pandemic, when everyone started working from home, one of the pieces that we saw as an emerging trend was using automation as an abstraction layer, if you will. Let's say there's some very secure application that you don't want employees accessing from home. Well, what you can do is have an automation that can go in and access it, and the employees can make requests of that automation. It puts that security layer, that buffer in between, and helps a lot of hybrid work really function. The other piece is, as folks started working from home and not always being in the office to necessarily collaborate or talk to each other, they got more used to interacting with folks through email, text, Teams channels, and the like, which coincidentally are the same ways you would interact with a digital coworker. Yeah. <laughs> so folks are more used to that. They're more used to just sending an email or a, a ping through Teams which can easily be interpreted to kick off an automation as opposed to, you know, I can't go to the office next door and ask a robot to do ta a task. So it enhanced folks trying to do that. And the last piece is digital employees are very reliable. And in an environment where lots of employees were out sick consistently, and you never know when someone was going to be out for an extended period of time, having a subset of your workforce that would never get sick, never take a break, never go to sleep, and easily scalable and hireable because it's the job market today is very different than what it was uh, 10 years ago. <laughs> Having the ability to easily grab talent, even, you know, be it digital or human, certainly added to the expanse and adoption of intelligent automation. And as you expand intelligent automation, you want to expand the intelligence behind it, the AI piece so that you can automate more and more complex tasks. That makes a lot of sense. So my favorite thing to ask people when I close out the podcast, since it airs on Fridays, is what are you looking forward to this weekend? It is a nice holiday weekend. We got 4th of July coming up. So we're going to be having a barbecue, a bunch of friends over, have all the, our friend group has a bunch of toddlers. So my daughter will get to play with all of her little friends, Oh, bubbles, water, and some fireworks. 
So it should be a fun weekend. Oh my gosh, that sounds like so much fun. I haven't been around a bunch of kids for a 4th of July party since I was like in high school. And just the way that the kids are so delighted by like sparklers and balloons and like hot dogs straight off the grill. Like it's everything for them. (laughs) Yep. It's weird. I don't think I have. My daughter's almost three, but because she's almost three, her first couple of 4th of Julys were uh, still during a lockdown. (laughs) Yeah. A very exclusive household only list (laughs) for those parties. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's nice to be able to uh, expand a little bit more. I hope you have a great celebration with your wife and your child and all of your friends and their kids too. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Hope you have a great weekend as well. Thank you. It's been great talking to you as well. So thank you again for joining me for this conversation, Lou. It's, It's been a pleasure. My pleasure, Maddie. Again, I'm Maddie Collins and thank you for listening. Join us next Friday or whenever you need a work break.